go. Let me pray for us since we're talking about prayer. It feels super apropos. All right, Father, um, you are our teacher and you are our guide. Um, Spirit, you are a helper to help us understand the things of God. Um, prayer is such a mystery. And, and life in Christ is such a mystery. And so I just pray that you would meet each of us wherever we're coming in. Maybe we feel like, oh man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decently prayerful person. God, would you, would, would you help us celebrate your work in our lives if that's the case and, and continue that good work in us? And for many of us, I expect that we come in going, man, prayer's a little bit confusing, a little bit lost, not something that I'm fantastic at. And so God, would you help free us from guilt and shame in that? And also, uh, would, you, would you just be whatever you would invite each of us to be um, over this next few minutes and over these next several weeks as we talk about prayer? So um, we can't do any of this without you. So would you meet us here? And would you lead us here? It's in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we've danced around it, but today starts a few weeks of discussing this concept that we all know of, but that we don't often all do well, um, and, and that is prayer. Um, if we went around, of course, of course we know um, that, that prayer is something that Christians do, it's something we see in the Bible, but it's not something that many of us would say like, yeah, I think I'm just crushing it when it comes to my prayer life. Um, and so I want to start just by even inviting you to kind of think of, of your take on prayer. Um, if I was to ask you, or if, if someone who didn't know Jesus was to ask you, what is prayer? Let's talk about this for a minute. What would you say? How would you define prayer? What would you, how would you describe prayer? What is prayer? Talking to God. Talking to God. Okay. What else? Listening to God. Listening to God. Ooh. Back to you, sir. No. Uh, <laughs> worshiping God. Good job, buddy. What else? Talking to God, listening to God, worshiping God. What else is prayer? How would you describe prayer? Interceding. Yeah, it's a good, good Christian-y word. So praying to God on behalf of other people. That's what interceding is. Okay, what else? Kids, when you think of prayer, what is it? How do you describe prayer, kiddos? Is it talking to God like Mr. Daniel said? Absolutely. Is it listening to God? Is it anything else? Prayer's a little bit hard to define, right? Because it, 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 it encompasses so many things. Uh, it is not less than talking to God. It is not less than listening to God. It is not less than worshiping to God. But in some moments, it is so much more. It's so multifaceted. Anything else come to mind when you think of what is prayer? What else, bud? Loving God. I love how God-focused all these answers are, for the record. We'll come back to that. Yes, Stacey. To bless Jesus. Yeah, to have a relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Great job. All right, another question. What's easy about prayer and what's hard about prayer? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's, man, way to be. It is hard to feel like you're talking to a regular person. So it's hard to, to feel normal, right? Good job. What else? What else is hard and easy about prayer? Easy to ask and hard to listen. 
It's easier to talk to, harder to, to, to listen to, potentially. What else? What gets in the way? Our guilt gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how do you discern through whatever thoughts go through your head? Is this God speaking back to me that I'm supposed to listen to? Is it me? Is it dark forces parading as, as, as angels of light? We're told this in the scriptures that that happens as well. A lot of discernment goes into to the listening prayer. And on and on we could go. There's things that are easy, praise God, about prayer. And those would be different for many of us in the room than maybe even the person sitting next to you. There's things that are hard about prayer. Um, the number one question that I think across at least modern Western world, the number one question that, that American followers of Jesus ask about prayer is, does prayer work? Does prayer work? And, and, and there's, at times there's other questions of like, what's the point of prayer? Or how do you, how do you pray right and this kind of stuff? But, but if we believed prayer worked, I, I don't think some of those secondary questions would need to be asked. So again, Christians know that prayer is a common practice in the Bible, but a lot of times in, in the church, it gets relegated to kind of the last five minutes of a meeting. It's, it's the same words before every dinner or the same words before every bedtime. Or prayer is just, God, I, I want this. I want you to give me something. Um, and again, I'm intentionally overstating that, but for, for a lot of us, that kind of is, is some of what prayer becomes. And there's a better way to answer the question does prayer work? And that's by asking another question, well, what do we mean by work? Is that fair? What do, what do we mean when we say, does prayer work? And that's the question, that's the answer we're going to be exploring together in Sundays and some DNA conversations between now and Thanksgiving. And, and over these weeks, I, I hope that we just take a few steps in clarifying God's intended purposes of prayer. And, and I, I hope and trust that we'll get to spend time over this fall practicing prayer as well. And, and so for those of you who are saying like, yeah, I'm going to accept the monthly commitment. I'm going to accept what we talked about last month. If you weren't here is kind of, would you, would you once a month commit to a spiritual practice just to flex some new muscles of how to be with Jesus? So maybe, maybe some form of prayer would be, would be your spiritual practice. Uh, the magnets that are around are, are simply tools. They're not meant to be overlords or this kind of stuff. They're simply tools to put into place to, to help us learn how to pray. Because man, we want salt and light to be a praying church. Because we believe that with a right understanding of prayer, prayer absolutely 100% works. But maybe we just misdefine work. So on one hand, like prayer is, is the embodiment of, of all of the values that we said we wanted to start our church with. We want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And prayer is inherently time spent with Jesus. As we pray, we become like Jesus, and prayer is one thing that we can do that we know Jesus consistently did, and we'll see that over the course of this fall. Because we're going to look at different types of prayer together, but, but rather than just picking and choosing, because again, there's a lot of ways to pray, a lot of things to pray, what we're going to do is, is learn from our master, and we're going to see Jesus' own prayer habits by digging into the gospel writers' accounts of Jesus' life. We're going to see the ways that Jesus himself prayed. And as we learn to pray with Jesus, and as we practice praying the things that Jesus prayed, again, our hope 
is that the Spirit would lead us into similar habits as Jesus had and that we would become a praying people. And so today's a foundation for the next few weeks together. Uh, we're going to get some biblical context for prayer, and we're going to look at the most common type of prayer, the one that's, that's most familiar to us, which is asking God for things. And we're going to look at asking God for things through the lens of, I think, the Bible's probably most famous prayer, which is called the Lord's Prayer. It's the one that the kids are memorizing over the rest of the fall. So my big goal for today, if you get nothing else out of this, here's, here's my hope for today, um, is that, that God would reframe our own posture and priority in prayer in light of Jesus's priority in prayer. My hope is that God, God would reframe our own posture and priority in light of Jesus's posture and priority. And so I know we already prayed, but I'm just going to ask again that he would do that. So God, would you reframe our, our common concepts? Would you reframe the things that we think of prayer in light of what we see in your son, Jesus? Spirit, help us in this. We need you to teach us and lead us and guide us. Amen. All right, so we're in Matthew 6. If you have a Bible or an app, open to Matthew 6. Um, and as you do, before we dive into Jesus's posture and priority in prayer, um, I, I want us to zoom out a little bit and realize that Jesus's prayer life was shaped by his culture and his history, just like ours is. Jesus' own prayer life was shaped by his culture, his history, just like ours. 2,000 years removed from Jesus, we're often unaware of the factors that are going on in the ancient Near East, and so we miss some of what was going on. And instead, we're left to only see prayer through a very limited lens. And the lenses that we see prayer through is, one, our own experience, which is inherently limited. We're limited to the number of days and the exact moments and, and the things that filled those days. So our, our experience is inherently limited, and we're also limited to, to the tradition that we know. So, so some of us didn't grow up in any form of, of church community. Some of us grew up in, in maybe another religion and learned how to pray there or prayed by, learned how to pray by seeing kind of cultural assumptions of what prayer is. Or for many of us, you grew up in kind of this American evangelical world that's less than 100 years old. And so again, even that is, is inherently limited if that's all we know of prayer. And so prayer in, in Jesus's first century ancient Near East world, prayer was based on a rich history within God's own people. And so, so if you look in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, God prayed, uh, Moses, excuse me, Moses prayed for Israel at one point for 40 days and 40 nights. Hannah, who we mentioned last week when we saw some baby dedications, and the Old Testament priest Samuel prayed continually to God. That's how, how uh, the, the prophet Samuel describes it. He prayed continually to God. Even looking a little bit further in history, when Daniel was in exile and was threatened with death, he still would commit to his regular prayers three times a day. It's what got him thrown into the lion's den. The Psalms are a book of 150 prayer hymns. And on and on and on we could go. There's a rich tradition of prayer within the, the, the broad family, the broad nation that Jesus was born into. Bottom line, prayer throughout the Old Testament was really desperate at times. It was a cry out to God. It was a, a reliance on God, a dependence on God. Also, often though, prayer was patient in God's people and prayer was unhurried and it was relational. People were still busy 
They're busy maybe in different ways than you're busy. Maybe they were distracted with different distractions, but people were still busy. But there was a tradition and priority of prayer that Jesus was born into. It was desperate and patient and unhurried and relational. And, and by contrast, uh, Catherine Wright, who, who wrote a book called The Spiritual Practices of Jesus, she kind of tongue-in-cheek says, we're impatient waiting a few minutes for soup to cook in the microwave or waiting for the light to turn green. And so we got everything kind of in our culture working against us. There's a lot to learn about the countercultural priority of prayer, even from God's people before Jesus walked the earth. And at the same time, prayer in Jesus' time, just, just as prayer is today, prayer was not exclusive to God's old covenant people. There were a lot of folks who believed different religions, a lot of folks who believed different things, and a lot of different people would pray. And what's really interesting is that it was the expectation for Roman and Greek and pagan leaders, both political leaders, kings and emperors, uh, philosophers, thought leaders of the day, religious leaders of the day, it was, it was the expectation for Roman and Greek and pagan leaders to pray to their own gods. And again, to, to quote Catherine Wright again, and, and maybe feel a little bit of the tension that she brings up in, in contrast to what we see today, here's what she said. She said that Jesus' first readers would have known that the kind of leader who communed with the gods could be trusted. The kind of leader, political leader, thought leader, philosopher who communed with the gods in whatever their pantheon was could be trusted. Because of their friendship with the gods, these leaders, whatever nation they were in, were not limited by their own abilities or understandings, but the rest of the society saw them as being guided by the gods in instruction and relationship. Pagan leaders were expected to pray. Israel's leaders, political and philosophical, were expected to pray. And it just made me wonder as I read that, what would, if, what would it look like if a practice that was true for pagan leaders with what we would call false gods was even more true among us who claim to need God and claim to follow God through Jesus. And that's a little bit of, of prayer as it existed when Jesus walked the earth. And I just wanted to give a, a few minutes of that because first, history proves this pattern that no matter what people's faith or religion or philosophy or whatever you want to say, people throughout history have realized that there's something bigger than themselves. There's a bigger story. There's a bigger power than, than they had. And second, no matter what people's faith or religion or philosophy, those people prayed. And they prayed because prayer was a way that historically they had access to that bigger story, to that greater power. And so they would pray consistently. And they would pray for specific things like wisdom and, and when they were entering into battle. Prayer throughout most of history and most of the world is a consistent pattern in all peoples. And it's only been in our modern, recent societies that prayer has taken less and less and less of a priority. And it's just important for us to realize. And it's based on that foundation that we turn to Jesus's own prayer habits. Because if prayer was not uncommon in Jesus's time, then, then the question for today is, well, what is different about how Jesus prayed? 
Um, his disciples came to him um, in, in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. There's something that they saw differently about how Jesus prayed than how the pagans prayed to their gods, how the Greeks and Romans and even how Old Covenant uh, followers of God uh, that we call the Jews, called the nation of Israel, prayed to their gods. And so what is different about how Jesus prayed? In other words, they were asking the same question we're asking today. How do we know that prayer works? How do we pray in a way that works? And so most of us are familiar with the kind of prayer that involves asking God for things. It's not a bad kind of prayer. That is one legitimate kind of prayer. But we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer and see how Jesus teaches us to pray, even ask God for things that looks different than the common practice. And there's two things that I think Jesus shows us that make his prayer, quote, work. And it's that God is the priority of prayer and God is the power in prayer. God is the priority in prayer, and God is the power in prayer. So I want to read Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 5. And here's what Jesus says. He's instructing those who will listen. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, let's pause there. What's the priority, or who holds the power in the way that these hypocrites, to use the term Jesus has used, what's the priority, who holds the power if we pray like that? Others? Where do you see that? Uh, to, be seen by to be seen by others. Yeah, what's the priority there? It's to be seen. It's, it's others. It's the public persona of someone who prays. Good. Anything else the priority? Anything come to mind? One's own piety. One's own piety. Yeah, it's, a, it's an image thing, right? So the priority is me, right? I'm doing this in order to look good for others. I'm doing this in order to look holy. Where's the power rest in that kind of a prayer? It's, in, it's on ourselves, yeah. It's if, if I do this well enough, I will look holy. If I do this well enough, people will go like, wow, that woman, that man, she, she's a prayer. He's a prayer, right? Is that, is that what Jesus is gonna teach us how to pray? We're the power, we're the priority, looking good before others, no. And the reward that they receive, to be clear, isn't like, hey, your father will reward you, meaning he'll give you anything you want. They got exactly what they wanted. They got people looking at them saying, oh, wow. The reward is attentiveness, to, to be seen, to be heard. Do we care more about others seeing, hearing us, or more about God seeing, hearing us? The next verses, Jesus continues and says, also when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, what's the priority? Who holds the power if we pray like that? Us. Yeah, where, where does our power lie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the power relies in our words. If I say enough, God will be forced to give me something. There's some, something in that world. Good, what else? Where's the priority? Where's the power in that kind of prayer? 
Yeah, yeah, they're words that we're speaking, but maybe not from our heart. Absolutely. And so by contrast to those things, Jesus says in the end of verse 9, pray like this. And I want you to pay attention to the priority and power in the way that Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. So starting in verse 9, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, for our kids' verse, is be, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's the priority of that prayer? Who, who holds the power in that prayer? Is it our words? No. The, the, very, the very power is, God, I need you to provide something for me that I can't provide by myself. I'm powerless in this prayer. The, the priority we see in the very first verse explicitly, in verse, in verse 10 there, God's power is the power. And that must be our reliance on power too. The, the power is in one who is a father, just such a great image. It's a, an image of, a, of one who just wants to come and scoop you up and hug you. There's an intimacy and a care. But it's, but it's not just a father. It's a father who's in heaven, completely other, completely able to do all that we can ask or think or imagine, the Apostle Paul will say a few decades later. And he's holy. He's always right. He's always good. Everything he does is perfect. That, that's a power I want to rely on. A father who cares, who's infinitely able, and who always does good, that's, that's a good place to turn for prayer. Amen? God is our power. God is our priority in prayer. Nothing that follows is based on our ability. Nothing that follows in the Lord's Prayer is based on our righteousness, our priority, our power. It's all based on God's care, his ability, his priority, his power. And when you pray for things you think you need then, what's our focus? What's your focus? You or God? Not in like a what should it be. Like really think of like when we pray for things, where's our focus? Is it, is it on us? Is it on God? Is it on, is it on the things that God would want for us? Or is it on the things that, that we've decided we want for us? Where, is it reliant on our words like the Gentiles? Is it reliant on being seen like the hypocrites. There's, there's a great classic book, I think, by Francis Schaeffer called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. And, and the whole claim of the book is that we say we want God to do what God wants to do. We want God's will, but so often we only want God to do his work in the way we think it should be done. Does that resonate for anyone? There's a reason it's a classic. We want the Lord's work, but in our way. And the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, no. No, the, the, the prayer starts with God. It's about the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And so if God is the power in prayer, then, then the things that God prioritizes are also our priority in prayer. What does God prioritize in every moment of our lives and also in the entire world? What is God's number one priority? We see it in the very next verse. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done. If we can learn to pray like that, that will reorient our entire life of prayer. Jesus says, God knows what you need before you ask. To clarify, we often read that and say, well, God knows what you're going to ask before you ask, which is maybe true, but it's different. At the time, or at, at times, what we ask for, what we want, what we desire, turns out, friends, is not always what we actually truly need. And anyone with kids knows that that's true. I think of like, a lot of times we think of prayer as if, as if God is this clown at a carnival and we approach him and his entire job is to give us the exact balloon we want or the exact piece of candy that we want. Or sometimes we think if I can just pray good enough or do good enough, this is the Gentiles, the hypocrites, if I can use enough words, right? If I can perform, then, then the clown is required to give me the balloon or the candy that I want. That's just such a distortion. Where's the power lie if that's how we pray? It's, it's on us. If I do this, if I say this, the clown is required to give me this. If I ask for something, he knows what I'm going to ask for. He's required to give. That's, that's not what Jesus says. Salt and light, what is your greatest need? You ever thought about that? What is your truly greatest need? It's more of the kingdom of God in every single situation. It's, it's, it's a bigger view of God and what he's up to in every single situation. It's more of a dependence and abiding with Jesus in every single situation. It's more of the power of God, the Spirit, in every situation. Isn't, isn't that what we truly need? Is that hard to accept that that's actually what we truly need? Sometimes that means if we can accept that, and maybe that's our wrestle for this week, is can we accept that what we actually need is more of the kingdom of God? But if we accept that, then sometimes that means we won't get what we want. If we accept that what we need is more of God, then, then sometimes it, mean that it means that God might have a different reason for some life event or for some job change, or for some move, or for some situation, or for some conversation, that God might have a different reason for that thing than we think he should. We think we're entering in for something to happen, and God might have a whole nother reason. But if we're not the priority, and if we don't have the power, and I've completely lost my place here, if we aren't the priority and don't have the power, then could we admit, as we think about prayer, a very non-American thing to admit, which is that my way not, might not be the best way. My way might not even be the right way. And there might be a better version of best or a righter version of right than I can see. And this is the point of the Lord's Prayer, church is that we are utterly powerless. We are utterly dependent in every need that we have. Our desires, our ways, our wants are a lower priority. And frankly, they're worse for us 
if they don't align with God's desires and God's ways and God's wants. And it's through that lens, our Father in heaven who is holy, who cares for us, who's infinitely able and always good. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us more of you, more of of your spirit, more of your presence. It's through that lens that the rest of the Lord's Prayer admits that God is alone, the power who can meet every physical need. Give us this day our daily bread, this tangible, literal provision. It admits that God alone can meet every spiritual need. Forgive us our debts. It admits that God alone is our source of spiritual provision. And it admits that God alone constantly directs us and protects us in his right way. Lead us not from temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All of this is utterly reliant on God alone. We can't physically sustain ourselves. God can and God does. We can't redeem brokenness within ourselves or outside of ourselves. God can and God does. Our own heart is is sinful and like Adam and Eve, it's led astray and yet God can and God does direct us and protect us. Frankly, this theme is echoed just a few verses later when Jesus talks about fasting. Fasting was way more of a common practice then than it was now and in fasting, a refraining from food or from water or for, from, from TV or social media, or refraining from something that we think nourishes us. Fasting declares, God, I want you, I need you, I desire you more than food. I want, need, desire you more than drink. I want, need, and desire you more than TV or social media or whatever it is. You are my provider. You're the source of nourishment. You're my priority. You're better. Do we have any power when we fast? Is it one of, the, the, one of the ways we perform to get the clown to give us something we want? No, no, no. We're, if anything, like we feel, anybody fasted, like you feel powerless. Like you feel even more needy, more dependent. You feel weaker, literally. But what's the only thing that would in our right minds cause us to skip a meal? It's that there's something more important than eating. Right? What, what alone would make us be willing to go thirsty? It's there, there's something, maybe some emergency in our family, maybe some massive one-time opportunity. We will, we will happily skip meals if there's something more important, but we will only skip meals if there's something more important. And so fasting, like prayer, declares, God, you are more important. You're more nourishing than even this. So again, we're talking about praying for God to meet our needs. Prayers like this and fasting are both reminders that God's the one who meets our needs. Prayers and, and fasting can be pointers in times when we feel utterly distracted. Jesus is inviting us to reorient around his better priorities and his greater power than we ever could have. So a mark of prayer working we go back to that question, isn't, does God answer in the way that I want God to answer? Is that fair? If, if God is required to give me everything I think I need, then frankly, I'm God and he's my servant. If, if God's required to give you everything you think you need, then, then you're asking God to build your kingdom in your way rather than relying on God's work 
in God's way. But church, only God is God. Ours is to seek first his kingdom and trust that all these things will be added to us. And so again, in saying God knows what we need before we ask, Jesus gives us the answer and tells us how prayer, quote, works. What he says is, as we approach God with the things we need, then prayer works when we realize where true power and ability exists to meet those needs. And when we admit that God is the one who meets needs, then prayer works when we see if our heart and our desire and our priorities are aligned with God's heart and God's priorities and God's desires. Does that make sense? So I want to close with this. Just, just after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches about laying up our treasure in heaven and then about not being anxious. And that order is not random. Like, it, it just, it's just intentional. It just flows from his prayer. Because it's as we seek first his kingdom, which is to say laying up treasures in heaven, it's, it's as we do that that God turns your heart more and more towards the heart of God. And it's as we see God provide what we truly need, which he promises to do, all these things, we're seeking first the kingdom, all these things will be added to us. It's as we see God provide what we truly need that we become less and less anxious. So, back to our question. Does prayer work when we ask God to meet our needs? If we ask God to conform to our priorities, and if we try to exert our power over God like the hypocrites and Gentiles, then no. Prayer will not work. If prayer is a way to, to force God into servanthood, if prayer is a way to declare that we know best, then no, prayer will not work. But followers of Jesus, sisters and brothers, if prayer is an act of trust in which we turn to God and say, we admit that everything about you is better and that you know what we truly need, and if prayer is an act in which God turns us increasingly toward his priorities and, and causes us to rely more and more on his power, then absolutely prayer accomplishes exactly what God intends. And prayer works. And so we're going to close our teaching time in a little bit of a different way today. We don't want to spend six or seven weeks talking about prayer and then moving on. We want to spend six or seven weeks talking about prayer and then praying. And so for each stop on this, on this prayer wheel magnet that you have, we're going to kind of follow the pattern that Jesus teaches through the scriptures. If you look at the center of that magnet, there's a, a starting point that says, Lord, teach us to pray. Again, this is the question the disciples asked Jesus. Lord, teach me to pray. T Master, teach us to pray. And so today we're going to look at that kind of the first stop on the prayer wheel. So like the one o'clock, two o'clock area, if you were looking at this like a clock, okay? Um, God, teach me to pray for your provision. Teach me to pray for your provision, but in light of your power, your priority, your kingdom. God, would you provide physically, spiritually, direction, protection? Would you provide anything? But then prayer is always going to end back in the center of that wheel, which is a quote from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was killed for us. 
where he says, but not my will, but your will be done. Not my power and priority, but your power and priority be done. So Daniel and Stacey are going to come back up. And through today's lens, we're, we're just going to invite you to take some time to pray. If you're a writer, you've got plenty of paper in front of you. It's not just for kids. If you're a, a thinker or a texter to yourself or whatever, or if you just need to space out a little bit, and, and feel free to use the, the entirety of the room. We're just going to give you a few minutes to pray. We're going to pray that God would meet your needs. He already knows what you need. Physically, spiritually, directionally, protectionally, it's not a word. Would you ask God to meet your needs?